Now, the last couple of weeks, we started a brand new series looking at, um, we're looking, going through the book of Daniel, which is a uh, book of the Bible in the Old Testament. And uh, today, we've got a, a fascinating story in the book of Daniel. It's chapter two. And the book of Daniel is, is a, like a really good series. I saw this week that they're doing a remake of the Prince of Bel-Air. And you just enjoy the Prince of Bel-Air? So they've just cast a new guy to play Will Smith, so we'll see what that's like. Anyway, you know when you have like a really good series, and each episode has its own story, but then you have these different themes that will like run throughout the series, and the episodes, different ones, they'll like refer back to them in different ways, and somehow different episodes, they might focus in on a different character, and you see how the, the characters develop through the series, and they may face the same problems, but in different ways as it goes throughout, and you see how they grow and they learn. And the book of Daniel is a little bit like that. And last week, we saw how Daniel, uh, we were introduced to Daniel and his three friends, and we saw how they were living in Judah, but they were captured uh, by the Babylonians when the Babylon army, um, they'd won a load of victories, and they subdued Judah as well, and they took a whole load of them away into exile, and they were captured and taken away on this long journey uh, all the way to Babylon, and now they were in this new land, this new place, and it was, you know, a different culture, a different environment, a different city, and their challenge now was how would they live out their faith in this new place? How would they continue to serve God, to love people, to pursue good, to live life with integrity in Babylon, which was a place that had different gods and lived by very different values and had a different worldview? And in the Bible, Babylon becomes a bit of a shorthand or a symbol for living in opposition to God. So to live for God in Babylon uh, is like one extreme to the other. So obviously this was a real challenge. And, you know, for Daniel and his friends, it would have been much easier if they had just joined in. You know, like, when in Babylon, do as the Babylonians do, right? They could have had the phrase then. Uh, that would be much easier. So if we think about them, Daniel and his friends, if we were to put ourselves in their shoes and the others who were in exile as well, they might be asking the question, and this is explored in Daniel, why continue to be faithful? Why live for God when an easier life in Babylon is on offer, when you could join in with the crowd and maybe there's a shortcut to acceptance or wealth or position. And especially now for Daniel and his friends, when they've been selected to serve in the palace, and so they were even more under the spotlight. There was no hiding away for them. How would they do it, and why would they do it? And that's one of the themes that is explored in this story today, why it was worth it to continue to live for God. And also in this chapter, we get a little look at one of the main characters, King Nebuchadnezzar, who was the king of Babylon. This, uh, let me just, there we go. King of Babylon, this new kind of conquering empire, this new world power at the time. And we see how God begins to actually engage with Nebuchadnezzar and begins to challenge the way that he's, the way that challenge him and, and make him think about things. So, that's what's coming up today. So we'll dive into the story and then unpack it as we go along. So here we go. Daniel chapter 2 says this. In the second year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign, Nebuchadnezzar dreamed such dreams that his spirit was troubled and he could not sleep. He called in his magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers. And he, and he had all different departments. <laughs> 
and he demanded that they tell him what he had dreamed. As they stood before the king, he said, I have had a dream that deeply troubles me, and I must know what it means. Then the astrologers answered the king in Aramaic, Long live the king. Tell us the dream, and we will tell you what it means. But the king said to the astrologers, I'm serious about this. If you don't tell me what I dreamed. So he doesn't want them just to interpret the dream. He wants them to tell him what he dreamed in the first place. If you don't tell me what I dreamed and what it means, you will be torn limb from limb and your houses will be turned into heaps of rubble. But... If you tell me what I dreamed and what it dream and what I dreamed, I will give you many wonderful gifts and honors. Just tell me what the dream, the dream, what it means. Like high risk, high reward in this situation. So we're getting a bit of an insight now into Nebuchadnezzar's character. And when you, it makes me think of, you know, when you see different films and stuff, we have these like unchecked powerful rulers, and it's almost like you wouldn't want to get promoted, because the closer you get to them, it's like the more dangerous it is, like a Bond villain or something. So anyway, this comes up next. The astrologers replied to the king, no one on earth can tell the king his dream, and no king, however great and powerful, has ever asked such a thing of any magician, enchanter, or astrologer. The king's demand is impossible. No one except the gods could tell you your dream, and they do not live here among the people. Not the answer Nebuchadnezzar was looking for. So he comes back. The king was furious when he heard this, and he ordered that all the wise men of Babylon be executed. And because of the king's decree, men were sent to find and kill Daniel and his friends. So trouble for them. Okay, first of all, why is Nebuchadnezzar so you know, having such a reaction to this dream. Why is he going so crazy about it? Just tell me the dream of what it means. So he's really, you know, he's more than, it's more than just a bad dream. So for Nebuchadnezzar, partly in the early years of his reign as the emperor, he did face a number of challenges. Now, this is the second year of his reign. And before this, his father was the emperor. And under his father, Nebuchadnezzar was the head of the army. And it was whilst he was head of the army that he won some of his biggest victories, that he defeated the Assyrians, he defeated the Egyptians in a famous battle, and that's when he uh, subdued Judah as well and took some exiles away. And just after this, his father died and he ascended to the throne. And now he's on the throne. Some of these kingdoms and other ones that he'd conquered, over the next few years, they began to rebel. They began to test his resolve as the new empire, emperor to see if, you know, if he could keep it up. So he had these challenges. And then also some historical sources suggest that his, even his brothers, his brothers had a claim to the throne. And that some of them had kind of schemed behind his back to try and get his place. And so he's got a lot on his mind. And now suddenly he has this dream, which he's very disturbed by. And we'll see the dream in a little bit. But maybe he, he felt this dream was a warning or a threat, that there was like an imminent you know, threat to his position. And then secondly, we see a Nebuchadnezzar He's a man of great wealth and power. He can say in the same sentence, if you don't give me what I want, either you'll be torn limb from limb. I like it. He then goes on to say about your houses being turned to rubble. I would be more concerned about the first. You could do what you want with my house. If I keep my limbs, I'll settle for that. Anyway, you're torn limb from limb, or I will give you wonderful gifts and honors. So you can see Nebuchadnezzar, he is trying to throw all of his power and wealth at this problem. 
He's throwing everything he has at it. He's the most powerful man in the world at that time, and he's throwing everything he has at this, and yet there's a problem. The king's demand is impossible. And so for Nebuchadnezzar, this dream, it reveals the limits of his wealth and power, that he's the most powerful man in the world. He even claims to be a god, and yet he can't get what he wants in his own strength. And here we see how God begins to work on Nebuchadnezzar and begins to bring a little bit of a challenge to his perspective. And I think it's interesting for us as well. You know, in our Western world today and in the modern world, where we have so much at our fingertips to ultimately think about where do we put our trust and who do we lean on for our lives and who do we rely on? Okay, so anyway, back to the story. Um, This means, obviously, Daniel and his friends, you know, they were working in the palace. They were considered wise men. They were advisors to the king, so they're in trouble as well. So it says, because of the king's decree, men were sent to find and kill Daniel and his friends. When Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, came to kill them, Daniel handled the situation with wisdom and discretion. He asked Arioch, why has the king issued such a harsh decree? And so Arioch told him all that had happened. So Daniel went at once to see the king and requested more time so that he might interpret the dream for him. Then Daniel went home and told his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, what had happened. He urged them to ask the God of heaven to show them his mercy by telling them the secret so that they would not be executed along with the other wise men of Babylon. So I love Daniel's response here. Like, first of all, I don't know how he, he handled it with discretion and, you know, wisdom. I would have been in a panic, so fair play to Daniel. And, you know, I imagine he maybe got on with Ariok or the king's commander before, so it bought him a little time. I don't know, but he manages to handle the situation. But then I love how Daniel he goes straight to the king, and he acts with boldness. I love how Daniel, he combines action and prayer together immediately, and he acts with boldness because... You know, Daniel knows that God, this is something God can do. So he goes straight to the king. I'll interpret the dream for you. He knows that this is something God can do. And he knows that as a follower of God, he's been called to represent God in that place where he is. And so he goes, oh, I'll, I'll do it. And he acts boldly. But then, straight away, he goes back to his friends. And he's like, please pray, please pray, please pray. <laughs> pray that God does it. So you see this combination where he acts boldly, but then also it's risky, it's dangerous, it's a step of faith. He's having to step out and do something. And don't you find for us in our lives, when we have the opportunity to step out in faith and to represent God in a situation and bring what God wants you know, into, the, into our friends or the world around us or whatever, that's what it's like, isn't it? You know, when we share our faith with a friend or when we offer to pray for someone who's struggling or when we pray for healing or do anything that Tim was sharing in the kids' spot, you know, we sometimes have to take a step of faith and we know who God is and we know what he's called us to, but then there's that tension as well that, you know, that Daniel had where he acted with boldness and then rushed back to his friend and asked him to pray. And sometimes because of that tension for us, we might be tempted to hold back and think, well, what if I share my faith? Or what if I offer to pray? Or what if I step out and, you know, and nothing happens? But that's the wrong question to ask. Because what if it does? You know, what if I pray for my friend and they are healed? Like we've seen so many times and have so many amazing stories. Or 
What if a friend is struggling with something and I offer to pray for them and God really meets with them powerfully and brings a, you know, meets them with his love or his joy or brings an answer to their prayer? What if a person who's, you know, they, they got questions of faith or questions of life and they just don't know where to go with it until you step in and you share your story or you share your faith or you invite them to something and, you know, they didn't know where to go until you stepped in and that was your witness or your prayer and the more we step out, the more we see God work through us. And uh, just this week, we were doing Alpha with the youth, and one of my favorite stories in it, they interviewed a guy called Francis Collins, who's a famous scientist in the US. He was the head of the Genome Project. He was heading up their whole vaccine research and response and things. And he was telling his story about how when he was a young med- medical student, and he was an atheist, and you know, growing up in a home, his parents were atheists, never really thought about God before anything, and just assumed it wasn't real. And he said that oh, one day uh, he was working on a particular ward, and he'd been you know, chatting with different patients, and there was one uh, lady that you know, he particularly liked to go and chat to, and she had a heart condition. He said one day he was at the, like, the side of her bed, and she'd be going through a particular kind of episode with her heart, and you know, it looked like she may not make it, but she made it through, but it, you know, it was full on. And he said that afterwards, she was sharing with him about her faith and how she follows Jesus and how that was helping her through the situation and shared her story with him. And he says afterwards, she turned to him and said, and looked at him and said, and what do you believe, doctor? And he said at that moment, he realized, he said, I'd come to a conclusion about the most important question in life. Is there a God? And what happens when we die? And he said, and I'd reached a conclusion without ever looking at the evidence. And I'm meant to be a scientist. That's what scientists do, we look at the evidence. And that led him on a journey of exploration, he began to look into it for himself. And he said, he, you know, he began to look into it, and something he said that he thought would confirm his atheism led him to actually believing in Jesus, and that Jesus who is, is who he says he is, and he's a follower of Jesus today. And I love that story, that this lady just sharing her story and, and what God has done in her life and how that transformed, you know, this person's life. And so for each one of us, let's be ready to go for it like Daniel. Let's be ready to go with the boldness. And when we, and know that Daniel had that tension between the boldness and, oh, now, and the faith and as well. Daniel, Daniel felt that and he went for it. So let's go for it as well. Because the more we step out, the more we will see God do. And that's what he calls us to. So anyway, back to the story. So Daniel, his friends, they're praying together that they find out the dreams that they aren't torn limb from limb as well. And then it says this, during the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Phew, it's a relief, isn't it? And uh, then it says, Daniel praised the God of heaven and said, and then he sings this song of praise, praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. And he sings this song, which you can read for yourself uh, later. I'm gonna skip over it for a time. So, next up, Daniel straight away, he goes to see the king. And it says this, Then Daniel went in to see Arioch, whom the king had ordered to execute the wise men of Babylon. And Daniel said to him, Don't kill the wise men. Take me to the king, and I will tell him the meaning of his dream. So Arioch quickly took Daniel to the king and said, Now I like how Arioch here takes credit for this. 
I have found one of the captives from Judah who will tell the king the meaning of his dream. I think for Arioch, though, what if it went wrong? What if, well, I mean, we haven't got there yet, but what if Daniel gets the dream wrong? Arioch, he's putting his neck on the line here. He could, he could be in the neck, couldn't he? He's, he's trying to get some of those wealth and honors, but, you know, don't mess with Nebuchadnezzar. Anyway, I have found one of the captives from Judah who will tell the king the meaning of his dream. The king said to Daniel, also known as Belteshazzar, that's the name they gave him in Babylon, is this true? Can you tell me what, the, what my dream was and what it means? Daniel replied, there are no wise men, enchanters, magicians, or fortune tellers who can reveal the king's secret. Now, if it was me, I wouldn't have started with that line, knowing Nebuchadnezzar's temper. I would have gone with this bit first and then maybe come back to that. But anyway, that's how Daniel starts. But there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets and he has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in the future. Now, I will tell you what your dream and the visions you saw as you lay on your bed. While your majesty was sleeping, you dreamed about coming events. He who reveals secrets has shown you what is going to happen. And it's not because I'm wiser than anyone else that I know the secret of your dream, but because God wants you to understand what you were thinking about. So... Daniel then goes on to share the dream. So we'll hear that in a moment. But let me just pause here for a moment. Because up to this point here in the story, I think we get two of the reasons why for Daniel and his friends, it was worth it to stay faithful and to continue to follow God. And there's one more to come, but these were two of them. First of all, number one, God has saved them. God rescued them. Here in this immediate moment, God saved them from Nebuchadnezzar by revealing his dream and doing something that only God can do. But it reminds them that even in their captivity, that God is bigger than Nebuchadnezzar. God is bigger than the all-conquering Babylonian empire, and that ultimately it's only God who can save us. It's only through our relationship with God that brings us eternal life. And later on, Daniel foresees how God has promised to rescue the world and to end their oppression, and to bring life, uh, an eternal life. And then the second thing is God had a purpose for them. Through Daniel and their friends, through their obedience, and them staying faithful, God wanted to bring his blessing to even people in Babylon, and to the Babylonians, that they might know him as well. And we see how, because of Daniel's actions, number one, he didn't just save himself and his friends, but he saved all the wise men. He said, don't kill, don't kill the wise men, all the astrologers, the sorcerers, the enchanters, and et cetera, et cetera. They were all saved because of what Daniel did. They were all rescued. And not only that, God wanted to speak to Nebuchadnezzar. God wanted to reach into his life. Daniel said, you know, it's not because I'm wise, but because God wants you to understand what you were thinking about. And God used Daniel and his friends to reveal and to point towards the reality of God and what he is like, even for the Babylonians who had taken them captive. And they became witnesses to what God is like and to who he is, using their gifts. And when you read this story, it reminds me a little bit of Joseph's story. Do you remember when Joseph, you know, he's taken as a young lad and he's taken as a slave to Egypt, ends up in prison, and then Pharaoh has a dream. No one can interpret it. Then who is it? You know, Joseph is pulled out of the prison. And what does Joseph say? The Pharaoh says, will you interpret my dream? And Joseph says as well, I can't do it, but God can do it. 
And through that, Joseph you know, rescued the whole of um, Egypt and the surrounding nations from famine using his gifts. And by him staying faithful, when he was in prison, when he was taken slave. And it made me think as well of in our last series when we were looking at um, the early church. And Paul, who you know, we saw became a follower of Jesus and, uh, and how he, many times he was thrown in prison for sharing his faith by the, you know, people who had opposed Jesus were still around and, you know, they arrested him and, but even when he was in prison, he, he shared his faith, he stayed faithful, he even saved one of the prison guards' lives and then later on, uh, he appeared before governors and kings and was even taken to Rome to stand trial before Caesar. So just like, you know, Joseph before Pharaoh and Daniel before Nebuchadnezzar and Paul before Caesar, these different people Staying faithful in difficult places, but God used them as a witness of the amazing thing that Jesus is, uh, God is and now what Jesus has done for us. And that's the same for us. You know, in our lives, we've experienced the amazing news of Jesus' rescue, his hope, his forgiveness, the gift of eternal life, the very reason that God came into the world himself as a man, as Jesus, so our relationship with God could be restored as John, one of Jesus' friends, put it, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And Jesus gave his life for us on the cross, not for anything he had done wrong, but for all the wrong things that we have done so that we could be forgiven for the things that we've done wrong and that nothing would stop us being in a friendship and relationship with God, that nothing would be in the way of us receiving eternal life with him. And Jesus himself, he had done nothing wrong, so he came back to life, conquering death and winning for us eternal life. And when we choose to follow Jesus and we accept him in our lives, just like Sean and Tim have been talking about this morning, you know, we are included in God's plan to bring his good news into the world. That's our calling now as well. So sometimes like Daniel and his friends, or like Joseph or like Paul, it will be our obedience, our faithfulness, our courage, maybe a moment of standing up for what is right, maybe a moment of maintain, keeping our integrity, maybe a moment of showing generosity or kindness, maybe a moment of sharing our faith, maybe a moment of offering to pray, maybe a moment of praying for someone to be healed that will bring the reality of God's love and welcome to others. This is what Paul wrote when he was in prison to his friend Timothy, he said, do not be ashamed then of witnessing for our Lord and neither be ashamed of me, a prisoner for Christ's sake. He saved us and called us to be his own people, not because of what we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. He broke the power of death and illuminated the way to life and immortality through the good news. So this is our calling too, which is amazing, isn't it? Okay, back to the story. So, Daniel, what was the dream? And does he get it right? Let's hope he does, or he's in trouble. Okay, so he says this to the king, still chatting to the king. He says this, In your vision, your majesty, you saw standing before you a huge, shining statue of a man. It was a frightening sight. The head of the statue was made of fine gold. This is Nebuchadnezzar's dream. His chest and arms were silver. His belly and thighs were bronze, and his legs were iron. 
and his feet were a combination of iron and baked clay. As you watched, a rock was cut from a mountain, but not by human hands. It struck the feet of iron and clay, smashing them to bits. The whole statue was crushed into small pieces of iron, clay, bronze, silver, and gold, and then the wind blew them away without a trace, like chaff on the threshing floor. But the rock that knocked the statue down became a great mountain that covered the whole earth. That was the dream. Now we will tell the king what it means. Your majesty, you are the greatest of kings. The God of heaven has given you sovereignty, power, strength, and honor. He has made you the ruler over all the inhabited world and has put even the wild animals and birds under your control. You are the head of gold. But after your kingdom come, comes to an end, another kingdom inferior to yours will rise to take your place. And after that kingdom has fallen, yet a third kingdom represented by bronze will rise to rule the world. Can you guess what's going to happen next? Following that kingdom, there will be a fourth one, as strong as iron. That kingdom will smash and crush all previous empires, just as iron smashes and crushes everything it strikes. The feet and toes you saw were a combination of iron and baked clay, showing that this kingdom will be divided. They will not hold together, just as iron and clay do not mix. During the reigns of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed or conquered. It will crush all the kingdoms into nothingness, and it will stand forever. That is the meaning of the rock cut from the mountain, though not by human hands, that crushed to pieces the statue of iron, bronze, clay, silver, and gold. The great God was showing the king what will happen in the future. The dream is true, and its meaning is certain. Wow. Quite a dream, wasn't it? And you can see why Nebuchadnezzar was troubled by this dream, especially because, you know, in those times, an emperor would often build statues of, them, of themselves and, you know, and place them in different places. So for Nebuchadnezzar, feeling under threat, having a dream of this huge statue, and then it being crushed by a giant rock, and, you know, even Daniel says, you know, the, the statue was frightening. Um, you can see why he would be, you know, so disturbed by it. And we'll see um, Nebuchadnezzar's reaction to Daniel's interpretation in a moment. But first of all, very briefly, what is this dream all about? What is God revealing to Nebuchadnezzar? And what is God saying to Daniel and his friends as well in this wild dream? So, in the dream, you get this series of kingdoms. Nebuchadnezzar is the head of gold, which, spoiler alert, he was pretty happy about. He enjoyed the thought of that. Um, but Daniel makes it clear that, you know, God is even above Nebuchadnezzar. He says, the God of heaven has given you this position. And then you have the rise and fall of kingdoms one after another. And it's showing how, you know, human kingdoms are temporary. They come and go. But ultimately, they're replaced by this rock, which is a picture of God's kingdom and God's plan to establish his kingdom on the earth with his goodness for the world, his purpose, his rescue in our broken world that will surpass all that's been before and spread throughout the whole earth and last and stand forever. So that's the focus of the dream. Now at different times, people have come up with different possibilities and different ideas of what these different empires, who they might represent. So we hear that the gold one is, you know, Babylon. 
And after, in the first years after the New Testament, um, you know, the next few hundred years, of pop, uh, different Christians and a view that's kind of remained popular throughout the, the interpretation throughout the years is that maybe the silver represents the Medes and Persians, who came next, and then the bronze is the, is the Greeks with um, what's it, Alexander the Great, and then the iron was the Roman Empire that you know, spread throughout, and then the clay and iron is how that was divided. And then at that time, obviously, Jesus came into the world, and uh, so that's what many people have thought. But at the same time, a lot of the- theologians have said that the point of the dream isn't trying to give like a set timeline of events. And different people have you know, thought different things, and there's you know, different ways you could look at it. So a lot of theologians say, look, it's kind of a waste of time to be like, oh, it definitely means this, you know, the bronze is definitely these or this. And they say, that's not really the point of it. And when you think about it, for Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel, they're not going to know themselves because, you know, this is way down the line for them. These are the generations later and later. So what's God saying to them? What are they hearing God say? And um, what we see is that God is giving them this, if you like, perspective on history. And you have these different kingdoms that rise and fall, and it's like symbolic of all human kingdoms, that they are temporary and so in this sense, it's something relevant to every age. If you think in the last hundred years, you've had the rise and fall you know, of a whole load of empires and kingdoms, isn't it? The Ottoman Empire, the British Empire, the Soviet Union, and we don't really call them empires anymore. They're global superpowers, isn't it? But you see, you know, throughout all, all the ages, you have a rise and fall of these different things. And all of that is temporary and up and down compared to the coming of the kingdom of God and his purposes in the world, and that ultimately God is above and beyond even the most powerful of empires and rulers, and ultimately his plans and purposes will be established and last forever. And so for us today as well, this dream is amazingly prophetic about the kingdom of God, about what God wants to do in the world, and and this was really important to Jesus. Jesus often reference the book of Daniel, and that Daniel has other dreams later on, which, you know, dovetail with this one. So it's really important to Jesus. Now, I could do a whole talk on this, okay? So I'm going to scale it back to one point, okay? I'm again to half an hour, but can you buckle in for one more point? Are you with me? Is that okay? Okay, so I'll be quick. So just one way that this is prophetic about what uh, God is doing in the world. So Daniel says, as you watched, a rock was cut from a mountain, but not by human hands, talking about the kingdom of God. And here we see the way the kingdom of God and human kingdoms are are different. Now, when you think of kingdoms and empires and superpowers throughout the world, how how do they grow and conquer and get established? It's usually through violence, force, oppression, greed, and that's how they grow, isn't it, and get their position. But what was Jesus like? And what did Jesus talk about the kingdom of God and what that was like? What did he do? It's cut from a different cloth. It's not cut by human hands. What did Jesus say? Love your enemies. Blessed are the poor. Love your neighbor as yourself. And even when Jesus stood trial before Pilate, the Roman governor, and he'd been arrested and handed over, and Pilate was saying, you know, why don't you defend yourself? You know, do you know I can kill you? know, He's trying to get, why aren't you defending yourself? And Jesus said this, my kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. If it were, my followers would fight to keep me from being handed over to you. But my kingdom is not of this world. 
And ultimately, Jesus was killed by the Roman Empire. He was killed on a Roman cross, like one of the signals of their power and strength. But it was through his sacrificial love that he overcame the world and the wrongs of the world. And that's one of the last things he said to his followers before he went to the cross. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. And the Roman Empire has come and gone. (laughs) But here we are today and across the world, where two and a half billion people are followers of Jesus. And the, you know, the Roman Empire is gone, but here we are today following him and celebrating him. Just like Daniel said, that the rock became a great mountain that covered the whole earth. And ultimately, Jesus will bring his kingdom in fullness when he returns again, and heaven and earth will be one, and it will be amazing. And that's the promise ahead of us. And so for us today, as followers of Jesus, just like we've seen throughout the, talk, the service today, you know, we're called to follow Jesus' example and pursue the things of the kingdom of God. Jesus said, seek the kingdom of God above all else. And so sometimes the values of our culture and our um, society will differ from the example that Jesus gave us because his kingdom is not of this world. And so sometimes there's going to be a, a clash of values and things. But just like Daniel and his friends, we see what really lasts and what is worth it and why the way of Jesus, the way of love, the way of sacrifice, the way of putting others first, the way of faithfulness is worth it because that is what lasts. And so finally for Daniel and his friends, as they faced in their situation the challenge of staying faithful, we see how this dream And what God was doing in their lives was motivation for them to keep going. The number one, God saves and he makes a difference in our lives today. He rescued them from Nebuchadnezzar. The number two, God had a purpose for them and he was using them to bring the goodness of God into that place where they were. Just as God has a purpose for us and wants to bring his goodness through us into our world. And then number three, that even though they were captives in Babylon, that God was bigger than even Nebuchadnezzar, and ultimately his purposes and plans would come to pass. So what then about Nebuchadnezzar? What was his reaction to this lesson in uh, where he stood in the world and God's plans and things? Well, it says this. Then, after hearing the dream and this interpretation, King Nebuchadnezzar threw himself down before Daniel and worshipped him. And he commanded his people to offer sacrifices and burn sweet incense before him, The king said to Daniel, truly your God is the greatest of gods, the Lord over kings, a revealer of mysteries, for you've been able to reveal the secret. And then he goes on to appoint Daniel to an even higher position in uh, the palace and the kingdom, and Daniel recommends his three friends for promotion as well, so they join him. So it's a good day for them. So we can see here Nebuchadnezzar, he's pretty happy about the dream. You know, he even says... um, you know, truly your God is the greatest of God, the Lord of kings. He's, you know, he's pleased with it. So is this a real change of heart for Nebuchadnezzar? Is he going to follow God now and the, God's king, you know, and pursue those things? Or is he just relieved that he's not under an immediate threat and it's not him who's getting knocked over by a big boulder? Which one is well? We'll find out next week when we see what comes next. So, or, well, don't, you could just read your Bible if you want, right? If you really want to answer, okay? So, okay. <laughs> let's, let's pray. 
I enjoyed the uh, pantomime groan. <laughs> Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for these amazing um, stories. We thank you for your wonderful rescue in our world that we ultimately saw in Jesus, that the love of God has broken into our world so that we can know you, we can know your plan for our lives, we can know your purposes, and we can know that you are rescuing the world and you bring the gift of eternal life. I thank you that you are a part of our lives today, and just like Daniel and his friends when they prayed and you answered their prayer, that you answer prayers today. And I pray that this week you would help us to carry the things you've called us to into our world, that we would take those opportunities to shine for you, Jesus, and to bring your goodness and love and kindness and truth to our friends and our families and our community. I pray would you use us this week, just like you used Daniel and others, to share and to show what you are like and what you want to do in our world. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, Sean.